Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Anyway, we are in a brand new series called Million Dollar Question. I'm excited. This is week one, so I always think it's, it's always best to be there on week one, because typically week one, we kind of introduce the whole idea of why we feel like it's important that we talk about this subject, this topic, whatever we're getting into. And this is the deal. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but... Questions are powerful. Now, if that's new to you, you need to buy into this because this is going to be really good. Questions are powerful. Um, a guy, I remember reading about this years ago, and he introduced me the idea like, there's just something powerful about asking the right question at the right time that brings you to the right answer, the right solution, what you're looking for. And so how many of questions, like, they vary, right? We're talking about good questions, though, right? Because you have, like, shallow questions, simple, like, what time is it? Where's the bathroom? I mean, basic things. Does my jeans make my look big? And so, like simple, basic, shallow. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the deeper questions of life. The, the questions that really, really matter. The questions that sometimes penetrate the soul. That really reveal something in us. And, and, and what I learned is this. Is that when you ask shallow questions, you get shallow answers. Right? I mean, that just makes sense. But when you ask profound questions, you get profound answers. And then, of course, if you ask no questions, you get... Yeah, thank you so much. So anyway, that's just the world of questions. And so questions can be powerful. And I've just learned, and I've got like a document, just so you know, that I have a list of like great questions just to ask myself every once in a while. Sometimes they're based on like specific categories of life. But I mean, I'll give you an example. One of the greatest questions, and some of you need to write this down. This is free. This isn't even in my notes. One of the greatest questions you can ask yourself is just simply this. What is the wise thing to do? You ever thought about it like that? Well, you got a decision to make. You got a fork in the road. You, you got some, What is the wise thing to do? You know, like in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? Isn't that a great question? If we would just ask ourselves that penetrating question before we make our decisions, how I many know we would make much better decisions? Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah. So, so there, there's just power in questions. Now, here's the fascinating thing, and it's this, and you need to think about this, is that God asks questions. And, and I mean lots of them. So like it's important that you and I ask questions and we know that when we take our prayers to God, we ask him questions or we, you know, we're, we're looking for answers at least, but God asks questions like all through the Bible. Like one guy who had just killed his brother, God said, where's your brother? <laughs> and, and, and so for another woman who was struggling with her faith, God asked, is anything too big for the Lord? To Adam, he just asked where are you? To another guy who was struggling with who he was and his own personal identity, he goes, what's your name? And so all through the Bible, there's just God asking these really, really pointed questions at the right time to try to get these people to the right answer, the right solution to figure life out because questions are powerful. And so, because you got to be honest, it's, it's a little confusing to think, why would God ask a question, right? God, by definition, knows all things. So why would a being that knows all things ever ask a question. That's just counterintuitive. But the point is this, is that he asks questions not because he lacks information, but he lacks questions, or he asks questions because you lack perspective. And so God drops the right question at the right time just so that you figure out what he's up to in your life, or you figure out where you've gone astray, or what, what's really going on, or who you really are. God asks these great, Jesus does the same thing. Like, go read, as a matter of fact, Jesus would do it all the time. Like, Jesus in a boat with his disciples, they're freaking out, and he just... Why are you afraid? <laughs> Which is like, duh, do you see the storm all around us? To another guy that was sick, he goes, do you want to be made well? And, and, and he, I'm telling you, when you look at the context of why would Jesus ask them these questions, it's just 
powerful. So here's the real big thing that you need to think about. What is God asking you? I don't know if you know this or not, but like when you hang out in church circles, you, you, you talk to sometimes very, very spiritual people. And, and very, very spiritual people hear from God a lot. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, but like God told me, God told me this, God told me that, I heard from God. And what I found is, is that most of the time, these very spiritual people, they seem to hear from God, but it's always like God telling them something. Rarely ever do I hear people saying, you know what, I really heard from God. You know what he said? He just asked me this question. Because this is what God does throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, we're, we're talking about God asks questions. So if you're journeying with God and you're following God and you're walking with God, God is going to be asking you some questions occasionally. And I just want you to have kind of your receptors on. I want you to have your ears open. I want your heart open because God is going to ask you some questions so that you can figure some things out so he can get you from point A to B and get, get you right in the middle of his perfect plan for your life. And so what is God asking you? Because clearly God asks a bunch of questions. So over the course of the series, we're going to look at some of these unique moments in the Bible where God drops the right question at the right time to penetrate somebody's heart. And so if you have your Bible today, I want you to open it up to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. Now, if, if, even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably know this story or some semblance of it. You know... Now, how many of you grew up in like kids' church? When, as a little kid, you went to church of some kind. This is like the ultimate kid story, which is weird because I don't, I don't get this. Because really, what we do is we're like, oh, look, the fish swallowed. And we were like, whoa, whoa. I, mean, I got swallowed by a fish. Can you imagine how traumatizing that would be? Like you'd have PTSD and all kinds of weird issues. You'd be like, I was trapped in a fish. And so it, it, it's a kid's story, but I'm telling you it's really not. We, we took a story that's actually fascinating and we kind of dumbed it down to, oh, look, he got spit out by the fish. It, it's a powerful, powerful story. Let me tell you where this story comes from. There's a guy named Jonah. Everybody say Jonah. Now, Jonah is a Jewish guy and he hears from God and God tells him, Jonah, I want you to go to this place. It's, it's Nineveh. It's the capital city of Assyria, which is this big, huge empire that really mostly beats people up. And I want you to go to that city, and I want you to tell them, because of their evil, that God's going to bring judgment. But if they'll just turn, if they'll just repent, I, you know, God will rescue them and save them from impending judgment. And so you know what Jonah does? Jonah just doesn't say no. Sometimes you say no to God, right? You just do it in very kind ways. Or, or nonchalant ways. Or you just make great excuses and say no that way. But, but that's how we say no. He says no and then literally gets in a boat and goes hundreds of miles in the opposite direction of what God told him to do. Now, how many know that's, that's how you say no? You know what I mean? It's not just like, well, really, I'd rather not because. Now, that's kind of, this is no, no. And you, you ever have your kids do that? No. And that just jump in a boat and go. Now, let me just help you out real quick here. If, if you ever want to say no to God and disobey God, that's your prerogative. But please hear me. If you're ever going to disobey God, don't do it and then go get on a boat. That's just dumb, right? Because where is the place in the planet that you have the least amount of control and God can bring weird elements to get you? It's on a boat. Never disobey God and get on a boat. And that's a great lesson to learn from this story. So, so Jonah gets on a boat. Now, you know, and again, as the story goes, I'm not going to read this part. This is chapters one and two. It is, is that eventually like a great storm comes and he's on there with just a bunch of like um, idol worshiping sailors, right? You know, just think sailor. I mean, then think like Greek culture, crazy, tons of gods, and you all worship your God. And if you ever had a storm come against your life, they just thought they had made God angry, right? 
and therefore the storm was coming to get them. And so they all flip out, and then they start rolling dice to figure out who God was really mad at. And when they roll the dice, they figure out it's Jonah. And I don't know how that works, but that's just what they did, called casting lots. And so they figure out it's Jonah. And so eventually they decide, you know what, forget this. If God's mad at him, let's just throw him out. And, and Jonah actually says, please get rid of me because I don't kill all of you. And so they do. They throw Jonah out of the boat. And that's another great lesson. If you have people that are bringing destruction and death to your life, throw them out of your boat. And so all these great little lessons here. Um, so they throw Jonah out of the boat, and then here's the part where a fish shows up and swallows Jonah. He's in the belly of the fish for three days. The fish somehow takes him somewhere, spits him out on dry land, and then God says, God. Now, here's the deal. If you don't believe that, that's okay. Does that make sense? Like, like I don't want you to throw out the whole story because you don't believe that a guy lived in the belly of a fish for three, because I get it. That's, that's crazy. That's a bit of a stretch. So I, I get that. But if you don't believe that, that's okay, because here's, here's what you need to know, is that this story is written above and beyond, not for you to believe that a fish and a guy and all that, it's to, it's to get you to understand this, is that we all, at some point in our lives, run from God. And God sometimes brings storms into our life not to pay us back, but to bring us back. And that's you and that's me, whether you believe that Jonah lived in a fish belly for three days or not. It's about a story about a man who rejected God, turned away from God, ran from God, which we've all done before. And God sometimes brought negative consequences, not to pay him back, but to bring him back. And that's the grace of God. Are you hearing me this morning? So when Jonah shows up on dry land, he's finally like, okay, fine, I get it. I'll go do what you say which is what you would do if you'd been traumatized in the belly of a fish for three days. You would just say, fine, God, I'll go do whatever you want. And so he's told to go again to the, Nineveh, uh, the capital city of Nineveh, which is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And this is where we pick up. Are you ready? Everybody say, okay. All right, this is where we go. The, Jonah chapter three, verse three. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days just to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, 40 more days, and then Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, this is the weird part. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and then sat down in dust. Now, again, this is bananas. If, if you were just an outsider, you would say, okay, really, the, 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 the Assyrian Empire, these are some of the most wicked people in the world. They are the most wicked people in the world. These people literally had made an art of torturing people. I mean, this is a, a brutal, barbaric culture that just absolutely was cruel to human beings. And then Jonah shows up, reluctantly, doesn't even want to be there, shows up and says, hey, God's going to bring judgment, and they're like, oh, you're right. You know, like, so even this part's hard to believe. Now, history tells you this. This is the interesting part, is in history, what's going on at that time is a few different things. Number one is this, is that there had just been a couple of major plagues. And remember when plagues would hit a city like this and a place like this, it was, it was awful. I mean, we're talking about tons and tons of people dying and death and sickness and awful. And when you've been hit with a couple of plagues, you're, you're on edge a little bit. The other thing that had happened was is that there had been three tribes in the north that had just recently kind of formed together. And these three tribes were, were starting to mount their own army against the Assyrians. And then, this is the worst of all, they had just had basically like a, a solar eclipse. That's bad omen, right? All of a sudden, we got plagues. 
We've got armies from the north, and then a solar eclipse come. And these are very superstitious people, right? Are you superstitious? Maybe you're a little stitious. These people are very superstitious. And so anyway, the, the point is, is that all these three things had mounted up together, and then all of a sudden, a Jewish prophet, who he would have never come to warn them of anything, he shows up and warns them, and they're like, oh, dear God, we're sorry, we'll stop, please don't, no more eclipses, no more famine, no more army, no help us. Save. And so even the king, I mean, for the king to take off his robe and to put on now sackcloth and ashes, basically sackcloth was like putting on burlap. And it was this way of making yourself uncomfortable. It was the way of humbling yourself. Sitting in dust was a way of humbling yourself. And so this is what everybody does. Everybody goes into fasting and praying and repenting. And we're going to turn to God. And you're like, holy smokes. And so now, now, now listen to this. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. This is incredible. We're talking about massive revival. We're talking about the capital city turning to God, turning away from idolatry, turning away from evil towards humanity. We're talking about, I mean, 100,000 plus people like turning to God. This is incredible, right? Can you imagine going to Washington and D.C. and then the revival hits Washington, D.C. from the Capitol? Or, or just think, like, because it goes on to say it's like 120,000 plus people. And can you imagine, like, if this broke out in America? I mean, Anderson Cooper would be doing your interview and Hollywood would want, me, would want to do, like, this cool Christian movie about what happened and how it went down and all kinds of cool stuff. And we would all celebrate, right? Right? As a church, we'd, yes, we'd been praying for this. And, and, and yeah, we've been believing and God did it. And it's been awesome. And angels are rejoicing. Are you with me? It's a big deal, right? It's a, it's a really, really big deal. And what would be awesome is, is if the story just ended right there. Like, that, like cha- we're at the end of chapter three. It should just end. God did it. They repented. God, you know, woohoo! It doesn't end that way. The next chapter picks up and it's so strange. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. What? He prayed to the Lord. I love his quote. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew. You should listen to this theology. This is incredible theology here. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I want you to know this is incredible theology. As a matter of fact, if you ever wondered what is God like, who, who is God, what's the real character and nature of God? Moses asked this question. He actually says it in a different way. He goes, Lord, what is your name? And so the, the Bible says that God kind of appears before him and he says, I'm the Lord, I'm the Lord. And he, and he quotes this. I'm the kind and gracious, the, the slow to anger and abounding in love, one who relents from, doing, um, or relents from bringing calamity. And this is what God proclaims himself to be. And then David repeats this and other people repeat this. And Jonah gets it. Like he has a really, really, really clear understanding of who God is. It's incredible theology. It's awful application. Like I get it, God. I mean, this is what he's in essence saying. This is why I disobeyed you, God, because I knew you were kind. I knew it. I knew why I didn't want to go there. Are you getting? Now, here's what you need to know. I told you the Ninevites were wicked people. But they weren't just wicked to anybody. They were wicked to everybody, and they were especially wicked to the Jewish people. 
These are people that had slaughtered countless number of Jews. This is, this is like the Jewish guy needing to go and preach repentance to the Nazis during the 40s. Hey, turn to God. He loves you. If you'll just turn, can you imagine? I mean, like, what did Jonah even do? Did he go through the city with like a sandwich board? Can you imagine the level of preaching? I love teaching the Bible, just so you know. Can you imagine what that preaching, what that sermon might have looked like? Return to God. Repent if you want to. God's going to send calamity. You should figure that out. Can you imagine how drab the sermon would have been? Because he hated those people. And he didn't care if they turned or not. Deep down in his heart, he knew God would be kind if they repented. He never believed they would repent. But he knew that if they did, God would be kind and that God would be merciful. And he was mad about it. What an incredible, like, and this is the preacher, right? This is the prophet. This is the guy who heard from God. And this is his story. This is why I believe the story is true based on on these things. Because you would never out yourself like that, right? You would never tell this story if it were really true, if it weren't really true. And so... Listen to what God says. Now, Jonah responds to the kindness of God with, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Isn't that so weird? I'm mad because you're nice. Now kill me. (laughs) And then God drops the penetrating question, verse number four. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Why is he angry? He's angry because God is kind. He's angry because they actually repented. He's angry because people received mercy, which is fascinating because just moments ago, he was the one running from God, and God didn't just pay him back, but God did something to bring him back. So he liked the grace of God for him. He did not like it for them. Do you have a right to be angry? Because, like, let's just say that people do repent sometimes. Like, let me, let me give you an example. Like, right now, in Israel and in Palestine, you have these people fighting and warring and, and literally trying to stab other people. It, it's, it's awful. But I guarantee you that if they actually both just got along, if, if, if people had repentance in their heart and forgiveness in their heart, some people would be happy, but others would be angry about it. Because there's sometimes a bitterness in our heart towards certain people or certain people groups or the way we really feel about somebody. And what we discover is this, is we like the grace of God. I don't know that I like the grace of God for everybody, though. And this is what Jonah's put up against. He's put up against going to these people to preach repentance to these people. And he's doing it reluctantly. He doesn't really want to do it. He's only doing it because he has. Have you ever felt like that before? You ever obeyed God, but you didn't want to? You ever obeyed God, but deep down in your heart, you didn't want to do it? Deep down, you just, I only did it because I have to. I only did it because of guilt. I only did it because the preacher said I had to, but I really don't want to. And that's where Jonah is. And here's what you need to understand about this, is that sometimes what God asks you to do doesn't line up with what you want to do. Sometimes God's passions don't line up with your passions, and sometimes there's a disconnect there. And so God asked this penetrating question, do you have a right to be angry? Now, he goes somewhere with this. This is where it's fascinating. Now, in the, in, in the life of Jesus, Jesus would many times just tell a parable to like teach people a lesson. In this moment, God doesn't tell a parable. He creates a parable. He literally makes one, and this is what happens. 
So the Bible says that Jonah, after getting this question dropped into his lap, he doesn't respond. He doesn't answer the question. He just leaves. So Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Like, just in case this whole repentance thing was just kind of phony and fake, and maybe God really will get them. I'll just watch. That's pretty messed up, isn't it? Then... The Lord God, this is the parable that he creates. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his, e- for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that plant. Imagine being out in the desert, you want some shade. Okay, that's all this really is so far. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun... Ra- <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die again and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. This was a a, a common thing if if you ever, the the Middle East and different parts of the world, it's, it's a Sirocco. It's a certain type of special storm that comes up quickly out of nowhere. The humidity drops to zero. The winds pick up. This do nothing but dust in the air. And literally the temperature will jump 15 to 20 degrees. And that's really what he's kind of describing here is this incredibly intense storm. So there's Jonah hoping that the whole repentance thing is phony, hoping that God really does blow them up, annihilate them, get them, judge them, whatever he wants. He's probably, you know, it would be cool if this happened. And he's sitting there. And then all of a sudden a plant comes up and he's like, oh, I like this little plant. It's so cool. Atlas of shade. I like it. Hi, plant. And gives him a name. I don't know. He's, he's in love with the plant. And then all of a sudden the next day God sends a worm and the plant dies. And then it's like, why did you go to where my plant go? And then immediately a storm comes, and then I want to die again. Are you seeing it? So then then it would be better for me to die than to live. But God says to Jonah, God has not given up on him yet. God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So the question still remains, do you have a right to be angry? But now he's saying, look, I I got a little parable for you. I got a little story for you. Do you have a right to be angry about the plant. And he goes, yes, yes, I do. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Third time now, very depressed kid, he needs Jesus. Um, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And what God is revealing to him comes out in these next few verses. Are you ready? Are you guys following with me? Are you tracking with me? It's gonna make, I'm gonna tie it all together with a pretty bow in a second here. But the Lord said, this is the teaching, you have been concerned, everybody say concerned. You have been concerned about what? The plant. You didn't make it. You didn't tend it. You didn't help it grow. You got no skin in the game. It sprang up overnight and then it died overnight. But yet you care about the plant. And should I not have, there's that word again, everybody say concern. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't even tell their right hand from their left and then there's a bunch of animals in there too. I love that part. All you animal people, PETA people. Look, God cares about animals too. Here's what I want to get you to see. He creates a story to say, you you know what the problem is? The problem is, is you want the grace of God for yourself but you don't want it for other people. And you're angry that they got it when you don't think they deserved it. And you have this issue of concern. You're concerned about a plant who literally was here one day. I mean, it was one day. 
How attached can you be to a plant? He's not even a dog. You can get attached to a dog. It's a plant. And you're, you have great concern for the plant? And, and, and then I'm God, and you're telling me I shouldn't have great concern for a city with 120,000 plus people in it? Is, it? is it possible, Jonah, that you made your religion about you and about no one else? Because the whole point of, of, of the Jewish people and Israel was not just being like, hey, we're God's people, woo It was about, hey, we're God's people, but let us be a light to the whole world around us. But you don't want to be that light. You just want, put it this way, you want the grace of God for yourself, but you don't want it for anybody else. You want me to forgive you when you do dumb stuff, but you don't want to, and and, and the point is this, it is way easier to receive grace than it is to give grace. You ever been there before? Have you ever felt like, man, I'm so glad God's been so good to me. He forgave me. But then when somebody does you wrong, you're quick to receive the grace of God, but you're not so quick to give the grace of God. And that's the point of the whole story. Let me ask you a question. Who is God asking you to forgive? Who is God asking you to extend grace to? Is there there a family member? Family members are the worst, aren't they? Because you're stuck with them. I got to see them at holidays and family gatherings. Is there a family member? Is there, you, you know what it really is? It, usually it's an ex something, an ex boyfriend, an ex girlfriend, an ex boss, an ex wife, an ex husband, an ex, or it could be like your sister's ex. It's somebody's ex. There's always an ex involved with people you hate a lot. Who is it that God is wanting you to extend grace to? Who who is it that God God is wanting you to forgive? Because the parable is about grace, isn't it? The whole story of Jonah is about grace. Is that a guy that disobeyed God still got grace. But a city who turned to God, he didn't want them to get grace. And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you so angry about this grace thing? What it reveals in us is that we want to receive grace, but we don't always want to give grace. And it typically reveals in us is that we're concerned about us, but we're not always concerned about other people. And it's an issue of concern. And we forget that God is not just concerned about you. And God is not just concerned about the people in this room. Is that God is concerned about everyone. Which leads us to these more penetrating questions. Questions like this. Who are your Ninevites? Do you have a people group that you don't like? Is it, is it rich people? Is it poor people? Is it white people? Is it black people? Is it Hispanic people? You got a people You got a people that like rub you wrong. Maybe it's Muslim people or Arabic people. Is there some kind of people? Do you have a people in your heart that when you think about them and look at them, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa." let me ask you a question then. Is it that you want the grace of God for you, but you don't want it for them? This is the challenge, isn't it? This is why this is a difficult sermon for many of us Christians to hear. But you got to remember who did the sermon come to? It came to the preacher. It came to Jonah, Right? This wasn't the sermon for the world to hear. This was the sermon for the believer to hear. Who's your Ninevite? Here's another question. Who are the people you have a hard time extending grace to? Who are they? Who are the people that come up in your mind when you think about, I can't stand them? This is maybe a better way to put it. Do you secretly wish someone would get what they had coming to them? Yeah, now it's coming to the surface a little bit. Here's another one. Who do you have a hard time extending grace towards? Here's another one. 
Is there someone in my life that God is concerned about, but I'm not concerned about? Man, it's quite up in this Methodist church. I remember, um, I remember feeling this as, as, a young, as a young preacher. I started preaching when I was 17 years old. And uh, went to Bible school and, and started out in a church and was kind of like just kind of working my way up. And when I first got into this church, um, it was in Michigan. And in, in Michigan, uh, there were like, like really cool basketball leagues and groups that I had gotten involved in. I loved playing basketball as a kid. And, and, and pickup games galore. Every, every Friday afternoon, every Saturday afternoon, just pickup games all the time. And I loved basketball. And if you know me, I'm a little on the competitive side. I've gotten so much better in my older age. I tried to like care. <laughs> I've gotten better, right? Like, I'm, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's not as bad as it used to be. Come on. Can you extend grace towards me, please? <laughs> so I'm, I'm in these pickup games, and, and, and there's this kid. And I say kid, I'm like 20, and he's probably, you know, 16, 17. And, and I, I was a pretty good basketball player at the time. And, and this kid is there, and, and certain people bother me. You know, per, people, um, my Ninevites, one of them would be like loud mouth, arrogant people. Like, they get up on your nerves. And this kid is loud mouth and arrogant galore, and he thinks he's the greatest basketball player ever. And, and if you ever, if, guys, you know what I'm talking about, if you ever play basketball, like guys that are just trash talkers. Now, I have a theory and a rule, generally speaking, like if you're a trash talker, that's fine as long as you're really good, because then I won't say anything to you. But don't you dare be a trash talker and then be awful, right? That, that's, that, that's just kind of a general thing. And this kid is that. This kid is awful. He's terrible. He's not, he's not any good. And he's, he's just mouthy, mouthy, mouthy. And we've lost a couple of games, which does not go well with me. And he was on my team. And sometimes you get stuck with teammates you don't really want. It wasn't like we got to choose who we were playing with. And, and so, but he's on my team and we keep losing, but he's still jawing at every little thing and making every comment. And, say, and finally, like, I stop in the middle of the game. I look at him and I'm, again, I'm, a, I'm on my way through Bible college and preaching and uh, and I look, I'm like, well, you shut up. You are so obnoxious and you're not even good. Just shut up. Uh, miss, I'm, I'm not like making this up. I was really that mean to the kid. I might have said worse. It was, it was along those lines. I didn't cuss the kid out, but I was pretty hard on him. And, um, and, and, and finally he does. I just jump on his butt. So he shuts up and finally, you know, we, the game's over and we move on. And that's a Friday, Right? It's Friday afternoon pickup game. And, and I remember I'm in youth ministry and I'm teaching and I'm preaching. And, and the funniest thing is, this is how God teaches me this lesson. And I have to relearn it over and over again, just so you know, I don't learn things the first time. But that Wednesday night was the first time that I was going to preach for the church in Michigan. Well, y'all think y'all know where the story's going. <laughs> and so sure enough, this kid, this kid had never been to this church. I've been going to this church for a little while. I had been to the church. And sure enough, I'm there, and I'm getting excited. I'm in churchy mode. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Hey, good to see you. Hey, praise the Lord. You know, I, I probably didn't say that, but it felt like that. And then all of a sudden, who walks in? This kid that I had just ripped up and shredded a few days earlier and told him that he was stupid and dumb and shut up and you're a moron and... And so I see him, and he sees me, and I'm like, oh, God, no. <laughs> and so I do what every good preacher would do, and that's, hey, buddy, good to see you, man. So glad you're here. I'm a terrible human being. I'm a terrible preacher. I'm a terrible pastor. I will never be good at this. I am Jonah. 
And that's my story that really got me to see, holy cow, Todd, is it possible that your purpose on earth is bigger than a basketball game? Is it possible that you were concerned about winning a pickup basketball game and your concern had gotten so focused on that that you had lost my concern and my concern is people. And I even called you to be person that ministers to people. But you had lost sight of what God cares about most. And from that day forward, I, I don't always get it right, but I, I'm reminded quite frequently of sometimes what's important in the moment is not me being right or not me winning the argument or not me getting my way or not me just having a good time or me being whatever it is, certainly not me winning, that sometimes the greater purpose is not in my agenda and my concern, but the greater purpose is in God's concern. So I ask the question again, is there someone in my life that God is concerned about, but I'm not concerned? Because here's, here's the thought. Maybe you don't have bitterness in your heart towards a people group. Maybe there's not someone that you harbor ill will and bitterness towards and you, you dream up ways that God can get them or you might get them. Maybe it's, not, maybe it's just someone in your life that you're like, you know what, I, I know that they're there, but man, they're just of no concern for me. Sometimes I just try to ignore them. Sometimes I try to avoid them. But what if? What if God's great concern was not my general happiness or, or me getting my way or me being right or me winning or me whatever? What if? What if what I believed wasn't about just me? What if it was about everybody? And what if I cared more about not just me getting the grace of God, but me also giving the grace of God? And that's the penetrating question that God asked Jonah at the right moment when he realized you have something in your heart. You've missed it. You've, you've forgotten why I even called you. you. You've missed the big point. You've missed the big picture. Do you even have a right to be angry? Like you're angry because they're getting the grace of God, but you were perfectly happy to get the grace of God yourself. Why would you be so angry? Let's pray this morning. So God, I pray that we would be open to hearing your voice, God. As we walk with you and as we journey with you, God, as we open up your scriptures, God, I pray that you would speak to us and that, God, sometimes you would tell us things, but, God, sometimes that you would ask us the right question at the right time. And, God, we'd be so open to hearing what that question is that we would be open to saying, God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to speak to me? Is there something in my heart that doesn't belong there? God, help me to hear your voice as I just kind of walk with you. And, God, maybe today the question is for us. Is there somebody in my life that that you're concerned about, but I don't really think about much anymore. Maybe there's someone in my life that I harbor bitterness towards or unforgiveness towards, and God, I don't have a right to take and take and take the grace of God, but never want to extend it. And so, God, I pray that you would help my heart heal. God, help me to not just receive your grace, but to give your grace. God, help me. Lord, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said... Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.